Welcome, listeners, to another episode of This Week in Mormons with the Twim Siblings. Hi, Maddie. It's great to be here. Welcome, listeners, to the original Mormon podcast show. And by Did you far hear the that? best one, right? Far and uh, away. By, by far and away the best one. Yeah. One, yeah. Of, these, one of these days we're going to have to record these things that you sing, Melissa, because they're re- we could use them over and over again, right? As- yeah. I think the listeners would love that. <laughs> Matt, you had a big, big, big life event happen yesterday. Tell us about it. My daughter came home from her mission. It was very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I I knew what flight number she was on and stuff. She was just coming from Oklahoma. But I like set a notification on my watch. And then like as soon as the plane took off, I was notified. As soon as it landed, I was notified. We went to the Salt Lake Airport. Uh-huh. And I just Did you stared. make a sign? Oh, yeah. We made a really big sign. That's cute. And... There was another family waiting for their missionary that was coming home from the same mission. Same flight um, and everything? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's cool. So it was a Delta flight. And so I thought, okay, she's going to be at the A gate. And like she's supposed to land at 10 a.m. She's going to be there right out the door. It'll take no time at all. (laughs) It was like a SkyWest flight. And so uh, she said that they flew and um, they landed. They had like take a shuttle from where they parked the plane to the terminal. So Oh, really? I, yeah. I haven't ever heard of that before. I, I know. Me neither. So everyone on the plane like gets on this shuttle to go to the terminal. And then it was all the way to the end of the B gate. So she had to walk through the whole airport. Huh. Anyhow, it was it literally took 30 minutes for her to get from the plane to the to where we were. So, was she texting you as she was walking through the B terminal? <laughs> I'm coming. Well, she, I'm coming. She didn't have a phone, right? <laughs> the, oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> But I'm telling you, Melissa, I don't know if you saw the video that we made, but she yeah, walked through the door, ran and hugged Sandra. Yeah. They were, they were both just crying. And I was like, I just want to watch this for the rest of my life. Like, It mother. was a very sweet video. Yeah. And shout out, Sandra looked so young. I was like, they look like sisters now. Melanie's grown up. <laughs> and um, it was really sweet, though. It was fun. It was just, yeah, uh, it, it's so fun to have her back and to know that she had such a great mission. I think she posted on Instagram about her mission and how much she loved it. And and yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so she didn't get released until like the afternoon. And so she wanted oh, to, she okay. kept her mission name tag on the whole day. And we only did like church approved things. And as we were waiting, she was like, I was like, well, can we watch something on TV? And she was like, can we watch the Testaments? I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. Instead, I found um, the Oklahoma City Mission has a YouTube page where they try and reach out to like um, non-members. Uh-huh. And most of the videos there only had like one or two views. And I was like, hey. Oh, let's sister, give them some views. Sister Miles, we could double, double the, the profile. So I watched a lot of videos of things going on in the Oklahoma City mission. So uh, yeah, that's super fun. Well, yeah, it'll be fun to see how she adjusts coming back and, and where she goes with her life. It's it's a good thing. Yeah. Hey, did you know, Melissa, that we every week when we uh, when we host this, I guess it's mm-hmm. monthly now-ish, uh-huh. But whenever we host, we tell people, hey, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. We want to know what you think. And guess what? People, people do. People reached out and told us what they thought. So yeah. we're going to open the mailbag. Okay. And I'm going to read some things that people have said um, about This Week in Mormons. And then. So, we- yeah. Just to be clear, Matt, you're really good about um, reading what people write in, about interacting with people on social media. You're very good about that. I'm only good about it when you send it directly to me. But I still care. I still want to hear what people think. We we love that you guys are interacting. So yeah, what's in the mailbag, Maddie? If, if I call you on the phone and I'm yeah. like, hey, 
Hey, okay. check your email and or your text. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so this was back when we were talking about my sleep study. But first, oh, before yeah. I say this, I have to say I've been using my sleep BiPAP machine for about a month and a half now. Uh-huh. And it's life changing for me. Is it, it really? Is, it seriously is. And I, I'm a little bit of a competitive guy. When I went to the sleep doctor and he was looking at my numbers and he was just like, phenomenal, phenomenal. <laughs> You're the success story. I'm so glad you came in first today because I'm going to have a day with people that aren't doing it right. And you've like, your <laughs> life has changed. And I was like, thank you, doctor. I'm the best like- patient. I'm <laughs> such a good patient. You're I have, welcome. <laughs> I have adapted to my machine and it really hit. It really, I just feel so good. It's so, but well, anyhow, good. yeah. So when we were talking about that, um, somebody wrote in and said, just so you know, it kind of bugged me that uh, you guys got stuck on calling a generic doctor creepy several times talking about the sleep study stuff. Okay. You didn't call the doctor creepy. It was me. We can blame it on me. It's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Melissa did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, because of all the stuff that goes on with the pandemic, then I think yeah. that there are some people that are sensitive to calling doctors creepy. So keep reading the email. I want to hear what he said. It just seemed kind of off-putting to classify all doctors as creepy for doing their job and helping someone be able to sleep better. Enough people in general have a hard time going to doctors. I don't think This Week in Mormons should be added adding to that at all, particularly having gone through this pandemic of the last few, year, few years. So, yeah, that's a good point. You know. Yeah, it's a good point. Matt, listen, um, I happen to think it's abnormal, strange, <laughs> weird, perchance even creepy to spend the night in a doctor's office and while you're in that doctor's office be having tests performed i just think it's i think it's weird and um and so and also i'm the kind of a person who's going to say obnoxious obnoxious things like i just i'm going to talk off the cuff and we're just having a conversation so obviously um i did not mean anything about doctors and nurses in general and obviously i'm so grateful for the health care that we have and and for the fact that you're sleeping better but yeah Yeah. i appreciate our listener pointing that out and um and you know what um yeah um, we're grateful for doctors we're grateful for nurses yeah. People should, we're grateful for the work that they do. And um, there's things probably that we do in our lives that other people think are creepy. Oh, and, for sure. Uh, and we can maybe know. do a whole podcast on that in a few weeks. We can things just call we it do. This Weekend Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What else have we got in the mailbag? Okay. So then there's some very educated listeners of This Weekend Mormons. And oh, good. This, this listener pointed out um, some details about the Ensign Peak stuff when we were talking about the church. And Ensign Peak and the church oh, and audit report. Financial disclosures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they okay. actually even sent us a link so that we could read all of the information. So they say the illegal part is that Ensign Peak retained voting and investment decisions with these LLCs while not being included in their disclosed part- portfolio. All of this was with knowledge and direction of the first presidency and the presiding bishopric. Their motivation okay. for wanting it done this way was a concern that disclosure of the assets would lead to negative consequences. In the church's press releases, they claimed they received bad legal advice. But according to the SEC, they were warned twice by the church auditing department that it might be a problem. For me, the issue that needs to be debated is whether or not the first presidency was correct about being nervous about disclosing its portfolio. Hmm. Would it have been better to disclose it from the beginning or go through all these leaks and fines uh, in years later? Okay. In my study of church history, the church always comes off better when it is transparent and seeks dialogue. The leadership usually land in hot water when it appears they act out of fear from the world. 
Oh, okay. I like this shift in perspective. You're right. I didn't really think about this angle at all. And that, um, yeah, listener, that, that was really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah a new way Great to points. think about that. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that Corey sent us the links so that I could read up on it. Yeah. Now, I, I have to be honest. I only read up a little bit on it because okay. that's not a topic that I'm super interested in, but okay. I do think it's important to talk about issues of transparency. So we'll do that a little bit later on today. Talk about Okay. It. Yeah. I think we have some news stories that deal with that. Yep. Okay. Well, great listeners. Thanks again so much for interacting with us and writing in. Matt, do you want to real quickly tell people where they can reach us if they have a comment or a question or something they want to bring up about the podcast? Yeah. So you can subscribe to This Week in Mormons on social media at Facebook slash This Week in Mormons, Twitter at The Real Twim, or you can email us at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. Okay, great. And as, as you can see, we read and we pay attention and we listen and we are grateful for our listeners. This is like the only time I pay attention to you, Matthew. So you're right. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so what about um, the news, Melissa? Well, I did want to just bring up real quickly uh, that a lot of the previous hosts of TWIM this month have brought up um, the changes to the um, LDS apps. So like Gospel Library, um, Gospel Tools, and Gospel Living. And um, I just thought maybe we could follow up on that. Um, have you had a chance to interact with any of these apps? Look at the changes. Are you using them? Yeah. Uh, anything like that? Yeah, so uh, there, the specifically they talked about the Gospel Living app and the Circles thing. I think that there's maybe regional differences in in the use of that. But oh. um, it's funny. My son, when he was a teachers quorum president, he got on Circles and he would send out messages to the teachers quorum, and only uh-huh. the adult leaders <laughs> would, respond. would respond. Yeah. yeah. So, so that one, you know, very well, useful. I have literally never opened up the um, Gospel Living app until I heard our twin hosts talking about it. Um, I mean, I, I understood that it was out there and the concept. And once I opened it, I was like, wow, there is a lot of content in here. Like people are spending a lot of time uh, contributing to this and trying to make it cool. And, and I do think, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in another news story, that it's important to have safe ways for youth and teens to interact with their leaders. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I just wonder if it's actually being used. I'm not using it clearly. The the change that I don't love is in the gospel library app. Uh So when I use my internet browser, I have like a hundred tabs open all at Uh once. I just keep all my, and I used to do that in the gospel library app. Like when we do the young men's theme, I don't have it memorized. Right. So I'd have a tab. So you just just, have a screen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so they've changed that. So every time I go to a tab, when I go to one of my tabs that's open, it takes me back to this home screen yeah. that shows me all of this other content. And then I'm yep. like, I, and, I, and now I can't find the tab that I had open. And I feel like they're forcing me to do things I don't want to do. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Um, you have to go to screens and then like navigate from there. Yeah, it is a little bit. It's it's not my favorite update. So okay. if anyone who listens to This Week in Mormons has some say in that, just let somebody know that some of us are Luddites. <laughs> And don't want changes. Like, yeah. if you want to make a change, I say create a whole new app. Now, I know, I know, I'm probably going to get emails from, we're going to get listeners that are saying like, do you know how hard it is to write a whole new app? But I, know. I just want the things to do. Like, I noticed what my Google devices, I, I used to ask them questions and they would give me answers. And now they don't give me answers anymore. They're just like, I don't know. Why don't you mm-hmm. search for that on Google? And I'm like, mm-hmm. what happened Thank to you. what I used to be able to do? <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wanna- keep an eye on it. I want to sound old, like, get off my lawn. Why is the world changing? Yeah, you do. You do. Good job. (laughs) Hey, so my favorite news story from this week, CNN of all places, and out of nowhere, Mm -hmm. they ran a story that's called 
what do Mormons believe? Yeah, and, I saw this. And I don't like everything that they say. It's not like a missionary lesson or something like that. But, you know, given that they're a national news organization that sometimes leads leans toward like sensational content or things that would stir up controversy. Yeah. I was actually kind of impressed with like what a good job they did on describing what we believe. Now, I have a friend. I posted it on social media and I have a friend from Croatia. He's like, <laughs> wait. Mormons believe that the Garden of Eden is in Missouri or was in Missouri. Have any of you ever been to Missouri? What a weird belief that is. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of like that wouldn't be the thing I would lead with as like part of right. our intro to our beliefs. But I thought they did a good job. I thought they did too. They talked a lot about um, how the how the Christianity thing, like are we Christians? Um, mm-hmm. Why don't other churches think we're Christians? They talk about the founding. They talk about the Book of Mormon. They talk about missionaries. I Yeah, I think it's really good too. Um, we'll have a link to this in the show notes, viewers or listeners. But um, Matt, I have some thoughts. Do you have any thoughts about why they would publish this article now? Like it feels sort of out yeah. of the blue. Yeah, I don't know. So I, I, I watch court TV at night to get the updates on uh, the Lori Daybell story. Yes. Yes. Whenever I listen to them talk, I'm like, hey, you guys are are making our church sound very weird and very mm-hmm. strange. And so I'm I'm hoping that maybe CNN was like trying to be a better news organization when that stuff's in the news. Okay. So that's what you believe. That's fine. Maybe. Um, <laughs> well, I did have an interesting experience um, a couple weeks ago. I um, traveled to Washington, D.C. with a school group. And I think I'll actually talk a little bit about that more later. But in traveling to D.C., we were paired with a team from West Virginia. So we had a lot of West Virginians with us as we traveled. And then there's always those plane experiences where Mm -hmm. there's like 15 people from Utah. And, of course, everybody on the plane is going to be like, so are you Mormons? And some Mm -hmm. have questions. And so I did actually have a shocking um, opportunity, amount of opportunities to talk to people about our church. And I'll tell you what I think I found. Here's what people know about our church. Lori Daybell. Lori Valadaybell, number one, and number two, sister wives. That's literally what I kept getting questions about those two things. And so- Wait, 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 real quick. Not Real Housewives of Salt Lake City? Not Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Um, Interesting. Sister wives, which I haven't seen, but I know it's like modern day polygamy. It's huge, yeah. Yeah, so- And then even like um, we were there for a government politics like competition for the students. And even in um, their questions from the judges, twice they got asked questions about polygamy because they said, you guys are from Utah. Let's relate this to polygamy. And my students were like, we have no idea what you're talking about. But So so wait, this is the U.S. House of Representatives? Uh, well, no. So this was, this was a competition called we, the people oh, where they, yeah, yeah. um, debate okay. things that have to do with politics and government. So, yeah. um, but yeah, judges, so two of the, the judges, judges really, yeah, we got questions from them. Um, and so I just think that out there in the world right now, people don't really know anything about our church besides what they're seeing on these, you know, TV yeah. So I do appreciate that this came out. I don't, I don't know, you know, and that way, it'll make Melissa, a lot of difference. Yeah. Let me point out, neither of them are members of our church. Sister wives are not in our church. Exactly. And Lori Daybell, I don't know if she's been excommunicated or not, but, but her beliefs, and they say this over and over in the trial, are not mainstream beliefs right. of our church. But what I did appreciate about the CNN article is that they did say, look, there are three or four big groups that came out of Mormonism. And mm-hmm. the reason the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, LDS, wants to be identified as that is because they don't want to be identified as any of these other groups that came out of Mormonism. And so they yeah. do explain in this article, you know, there's there's the FLDS. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I do feel like people don't understand that we're not all the same religion. 
Yeah. And I think that like that article could have been taken right from like the church newsroom style guidelines that the church is regularly <laughs> asking news organizations to how they talk about us and things like that. Yeah. Would yeah. you ever use it as a missionary tool, Melissa? Would you ever be like, uh, hey, so, like somebody who doesn't know anything about the church, would you point them to a C- this CNN article over maybe like church approved mission materials? Is it that good? I don't think it would be a harmful first step. I mean, I think it depends on who you're talking to, but if you get the, you know, the feel that they're um that they're not wanting you to send them to a church site. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. That 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 would feel like pushy or missionary-ish. Right. Yeah, I I wouldn't have a problem with that. I think it's not a bad idea at all. Okay, maybe maybe I'll go back to the Oklahoma City of uh, YouTube page and see if I can't recommend some content. Okay. <laughs> the two views that they have on all those videos. I'll put a link to that CNN story. Want to know more? Matt, you are spreading the gospel like mad. (laughs) I am so impressed. So impressed. Want an unbiased view of the church? Check out CNN. Check out CNN. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to move on to our next story, which I would not um, point people who are questioning what our church is about (laughs) towards. Um, An LDS, a Latter-day Saint um, member of the bishopric in Cache Valley, um, has been charged with enticing a teen girl from his congregation. So basically, this bishopric counselor um, started sending texts to one of the youth in his ward, and um, he started out, you know, answering religious questions or talking about, you know, things that are going to be coming up. And um, and then, so yeah, it, it seemed it like shifted. religious advice, and then it shifted and turned appropriate and graphic sexually. And happily, luckily, this victim reported it to the bishop. And also happily, luckily, the bishop immediately took action yeah. and um, and reported it to police and um, removed this man from his calling. Yeah. Um, Matt, I thought members of the bishopric weren't supposed to do stuff like that. I mean, nobody is, but do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like sometimes in our church, we put a lot of faith in people depending on what specific calling they have. How would you respond to that? So you remember this when we were younger, that there was a neighbor of ours across the street. Like one day I opened up the newspaper and he had been in the bishopric. And then it was in the newspaper that he had been accused of some pretty significant crimes. And I remember thinking to myself, no way, that person is not capable of that. Mm-hmm. I know that person. I see him at church and he's in a position of leadership. And that. so I was uh, in high school at that time. Uh-huh. And I think for me, that was when I first realized, like, you actually don't really know the people you think you know. And mm-hmm. just because a person's called to a specific calling does not mean that the Lord is endorsing everything that they do in their personal and in their private lives. And uh-huh. so you do have to you, you can sustain people without not fully trusting them with everything. Like, it's okay to be cautious, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, in fact, I have a lot of sympathy for this um, person's family. Like, I imagine, and obviously the news story doesn't go into this, but I imagine, like, his wife, his children had no idea that anything like this was going on. So it's, it's you know, it's probably really difficult for them, too, because now their neighbors are looking at them differently. And, and I think this is, this is just difficult. Again, I'm so glad that the teenager said something that's, that's really good. Um, but yeah, like you just don't know and you can't just trust someone just because they're in a calling of authority. So there was a time when I was, uh, I decided to spend a, a good part of a day at a bunch of sentencing hearings in Cash Valley, just because Matt, you know. are so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's of open to the public. Did. I'm like, hey, let's watch. 
It was mm-hmm. one of the saddest days of my life because yeah. people would come in and they would recount these tragedies, probably the worst day in their lives, both for the victims and for the families of the people perpetrating the offenses. And yeah. you would you would watch the families of the victims testify and you would watch the families of the person who was accused testifying. Mm-hmm. And then this judge is supposed to somehow figure out the appropriate sentencing, right? Yeah. And it broke my heart because you're right. It's it's tragic for everyone involved. Um, but it does it does just help you kind of realize like these things happen and nobody really plans for them to happen. I I don't know. It's 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 a, it's yeah, a tragedy like we, and we can't ever condone wrongdoing, but right. it is it is important to step back and look at how many different people have been affected and um and as I think as loving members of the church to figure out ways to show compassion and love to all the victims, which includes obviously this teenager, but it could include a lot of other people too. There really is no way for our criminal justice system to provide adequate justice or Mm -hmm. to heal, to help the people heal. It really is the atonement of Jesus Christ that allows people and all that are affected in these situations and all the ways to truly heal. But I do, but I think a big point I want to make is just because a person's in a bishopric does not mean you should trust them. And right. it's absolutely okay to report them and to point out things that they're doing that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, absolutely. So along those lines, um, a lot of people lately are critical about the level of transparency and accountability in the church. They feel like the church, uh, these things we alluded to earlier with the Ensign Peak and tax laws, and um, there's the stuff in Arizona about, uh, Arizona about failure to re- report sex abuse. Okay. And um, there's like some people saying, look, the church needs to be more accountable to the public. And on, on one level, there's a part of me that says, well, maybe this is a PR problem. Maybe the church's PR department is failing and they could do maybe a better job of helping the public see that they're accountable. But on the what other would- hand, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. But on the other hand, I just wonder, maybe the church isn't more transparent because they don't need to be more transparent. And like, like, does, should should the church really feel some kind of obligation to the public to be transparent and accountable for the things that happen in the church? I mean, I think my question is, what would that accountability look like, right? Because okay. well, real fast, like in general conference, when they stand up and give the auditor's report, they yeah. could say something more than just the standard line of the auditor's report and say, don't worry, everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Uh huh. Or what would it look like as far as these big abuse cases? What would transparency look like? I mean, I, I, I would like to see redacted names and, and uh, like descriptions of conversations that were had. Right. Mm-hmm. So I know that no bishop is perfect and no bishop knows exactly how to handle these things. And especially at this time period when we're talking about where the church is getting sued right now, things that happened, let's say, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, the church didn't quite know how to handle some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I would like to see maybe some discussions where the bishop contacts some leader of the church and is given some. Can- I don't actually I don't know, Melissa. I don't know. I know it is a hard question because here's the thing. At the end of the day. The church is speaking out on these issues regularly. They're just not doing it in direct response to specific cases. So mm-hmm. have we seen an increase in um, general conference talks about neglect, abuse, all yes. of those sorts of things? Since the, yes, all of those things. Absolutely, we have. Like the church is saying, like, here's our standards. Here's what we believe. Here's how we expect you to act, right? But for them to come out and do that every time there is a story about anyone anywhere in the world in this multi, just this huge church, 
I think it's I think it's kind of asking too much. And it's not respecting the privacy of again all of those people involved in these cases. Yeah. Who who we are just looking at two players, but there's many, many more players involved in a lot of these issues. So I think it's easy to say, like, this is the answer that I want in this case, and this is the information that I want in this situation. But if every single member of the church does that, it is becomes impossible to manage. I I think I can agree on sex abuse cases that the church maybe doesn't need to reveal how it handles that stuff as an ecclesiastical manner matter, mm-hmm. especially because there is wide variety in how any given bishop is going to handle that. So right. when you when you make information public, you invite scrutiny, mm-hmm. and I don't know that I want bishops under that kind of public scrutiny about decisions they're making because ultimately most of them are going to say. I prayed about this. I, I yeah. struggled with this and I felt like this is the course of action I should take. And yeah. that's not going to satisfy people. That's true. Yeah. But on matters of like tithing and finances and taxes, I think that I think that it's okay for the church to be much more transparent about that. I think it's okay, okay to, you're, you're asking members of the church to give their tithing to you and say, I don't care what you do with it. I'm paying tithing out of faith, which is a fine thing to do. So then I think there should be some reciprocity there. The church should say, we ask you to just give us your money on faith, and we're going to trust you on faith that you're not going to care what we do with it. And so why are we I do think in a similar way, the church is very transparent about all of the things that they do with this money. They're just not responding to specific stories again. So, for example, if I just open up the church news right now and I scroll through the stories, I can see that we had a temple groundbreaking. I can see that we had... um, Toilets and water wells um, in Guatemala, over 1,500. I can see that the um, Relief Society provided relief in 10 different countries. Let's but they're see. picking and choosing donations, the stuff. They're donations in and- Brazil, donations in California, donations in Peru, um, Ghana. Like I am just scrolling through, and there are all of these reports yeah. about how the church is spending its money. Now, is it line item detailed? No. It's not. It's definitely not. And I understand that that's what some people want. But again, if the church is trying to respond to what every individual member wants and in what way they want it, it's an overwhelming task. And so what they're saying is kind of what you said. Yeah, this is your money. You have to trust us with it. And in general, here's some of the good that is happening with your money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when Mitt Romney was running for president and he released his taxes, I was able to see that he paid taxes in kind by giving stock to the church, right? So that was the okay. first time I was like, wow, the church owns a million dollars of Burger King stock, I think was uh-huh. one of them. I was like, that's kind of interesting. Uh-huh. Um, and I I think it's okay to like, you could let that stuff out. You don't have to tell me Mitt Romney gave this to me, but you could, you could say, look, the church owns these stocks because they were given as in-kind donations or the church has these assets. I don't know. Like, I, I think that there are people out there that are curious, right? And they're like, I want to know what the church has out of curiosity. And I don't mm-hmm. think that it, I don't think they should be afraid of, I just think that if, it would feel like they trusted us a little bit more if they let more stuff be public because okay. not being public makes people feel like maybe you're trying to hide something. Okay. Yeah. Well, obviously this is something that's going to keep coming up because I mean, we, d- we do talk about it regularly because I think it is still an issue that, that doesn't feel resolved for a lot of people. Yeah. So, yeah. But I will say, I demand a level of transparency from my government 
that I don't think is fair for me to demand from a church. A church is okay. a private organization. They really yeah. don't have a legal obligation. Like with, with some exceptions that a listener pointed out, there, there are, depending on what you do with your money, like mm-hmm. then there are some times when you need to be transparent and they chose not to be. Yeah. But I do think that sometimes people get confused and they say, wait a minute, the government has to be transparent. Shouldn't a church? And I think, no, churches actually don't have to have, they don't have the same requirements that a government would. Right, right. And I guess at the end of the day, are you paying your money um, because you want to have a stake in where it goes? Because yeah. if you are, then that feels different. I understand. I'm not paying my money because I ha- want to have a stake in where it goes. Yeah. I'm paying it because I feel like it's a faithful representation of how I live the gospel. Yeah. But maybe, Mel- Melissa, if uh, church members saw just how high the salaries were of seminary teachers, mm. maybe that would challenge their. I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> you're going to get They're not high. The They're not teachers. high. They're like, listen. I know. <laughs> They're not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. Okay. Um, BYU Women's Conference uh, took place this week. Um, it's just. Um, have you ever heard of Women's Conference? You're really a man, so I'm not that. sure. I really so have women's, women's Conference is kind of like Education Week. It happens at BYU. It happens every year. This is the first year they're back in person. They've had it online for a few years in a row. But it's generally just a time for women to go and get fed, um, you know, kind of like college in a week. Um, okay, get, so get uplifted. Yeah. So I have Roots Tech. I have mm-hmm. Education Week. Uh-huh. And I have Women's Conference. Yep. And the different, it feels like the women of the church would go to all three of those. Absolutely, they do. Uh, women's conference is primarily women speakers, not a hundred percent, but there are a lot more women speakers. I'm looking at the schedule right now, and it might be it's the general board, right? Like, well, I mean, yeah, Sherry it's the do. general board and formal general board. You know, it's movers and shakers. It looks like very few men. It's mostly put on by women for women, and then you have. So, so it's more focused on women's issues, right, as opposed to Education Week. Um, but, yeah, it's a pretty big deal. I know a lot of women go down to BYU and spend, you know, the day. A lot of people go down as families or meet as, um, you know, sisters. And, and it's a pretty so, big deal. Let me ask you this because you're a woman and I'm not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is there – is because I, I – and I don't know if it's politics or whatever, but if I were to say we're having a men's conference – Mm-hmm. then it seems like that that wouldn't be a really good thing to say, here's a church men's conference. Mm-hmm. Is there something that women get out of a women's conference that you don't get out of mixed gender conferences? Uh, like, is it, cause I, I'm looking at the topics here. The topics yeah. actually don't seem any different than what I would see at education week in terms of okay. topics. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. is it, is it different hearing it from a woman than it is hearing it from a man. Is this what mansplaining is? <laughs> we don't want to- No, here's the thing. I'm not a girly girl and I don't love this sort of thing. But I know that there are a lot of women who like to gather with other women to feel just a camaraderie and a sisterhood. And mm. frankly, I think you should be allowed to have a men's conference. And I think the talks could be on things like hunting and washing your truck and going <laughs> on a, a mountain bike ride. If you're my husband, I don't know. I'm not speaking for all men. But um, but I think that, you know, that's the reason we meet in quorums, right? We have a, a priesthood quorum and we have a Relief Society quorum. And that's the reason we meet separately, because it's for us to uplift each other, you know, in those different ways than we do in a Sunday school class. Um, oh, I just saw one that I want to go to. Okay, let's hear it. Evan Eubank, the weatherman from KSL. Oh, I love Eubank. And his wife are doing one called Marriage, Nurturing a Love That Lasts. 
Huh? Uh, Wouldn't that be so fun sure. to hear Kevin Eubank talk about yeah. that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I do think. Uh, so wait, let me wait. ask you this. Okay. Let me ask you, do you think this is why when, there were fewer women in general conference? Because the church said, hey, we know you have to put on this women's conference in less than a month. So let's give you some time to get ready for that. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> I will tell you why. <laughs> This is not a free conference. This is oh. a conference that you pay to go to, and it's put on by BYU. Is BYU an arm of the church? Of course it is. But it costs 60 bucks to go. I'm not saying that's a bad price. I'm just saying, like, if we are going to focus all of our women leadership into this event, it should be a free event. And if we're going to, mm. frankly, like, if we're going to have it replace people speaking in conference and call it women's conference, then broadcast the whole dang thing as a general conference session in my mm. Opinion. Okay, well, now you've got me persuaded that if that was the idea, it was a bad idea. It was a bad idea if Let's, that was that it. That wasn't happening. I also just don't, I don't know how I feel about in general. I mean, I, I understand that we spend, send all kinds of leaders of the church to speak at all kinds of places. Yeah. But to have every single member of the, of the Relief Society General Presidency as speakers and as keynote, it does come across as a very... Endorsed um, by the church. Because it's yeah. BYU, right? And so... Right. So your yeah. your your problem is paying money to hear people who are called to serve yes. speak. Yes. When yeah, you kind should of. be able to, it should, because I when mean, they obviously there's around, more people than that, and they have musical guests, and they're paying for a venue. I get all of that. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is off putting a little bit to be like, oh, I got to like it's almost like fanning out, like you know, yeah. like being a groupie. The keynote speaker is typically the draw, and so to have the draw for your conference be a general authority. Well, so then that's kind of like the thing they talked about last week on This Week in Mormons about Elder Bednar speaking at a business conference, right? Where mm -hmm. he's, yeah. I don't understand why they're doing more of that. Um, there's probably some reasoning there that I have yet to hear or understand, but I do think that's a good point you're making, Melissa. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> I know, I know. I know. <laughs> your love language is validation from your brother. <laughs> that's it, that's it. <laughs> so there's a nice story. I don't know if you're familiar with the publication, The Conversation, but The Conversation is this publication. It's an online publication where scholars, when they do research, they can write little summaries of their research and then they publish it on The Conversation. So okay, yeah. scholars and people that like to read scholarly work will often go to that website. So Benjamin Park is a historian who writes a lot about church history, particularly the Nauvoo period. And he okay. kind of juxtaposes what's happening in Nauvoo with what's happening to U.S. history at the time. Okay. So he wrote a piece in the conversation where he talks about how early in the church, Joseph Smith really advocated for the law of consecration and members of the church having all things in common mm -hmm. and talks about how much the church struggled financially when that was the, the way that the church was talking and thinking about finances and personal finances and things like that. And then he says, when the church in 1847 starts moving west to Utah, they've got this new idea where it's all about individualism and it's not giving everything to the church, but you need to give tithing to the church. And so okay. this idea of individualism in your personal finances, and then you give 10% to the Lord, that that has created wealth for the church that they couldn't have had if they stuck to the old law of consecration way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and so his argument is that um, a lot of the, the wealth that you see in the church today stems from this change in the way the church is talking about things. And yeah. 
And I was thinking about this just from a doctrinal perspective. Um, I don't know. And again, we're not theologians, Melissa, but we can still speculate. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you think it would be hard for the church to be where it's at right now, where we've got churches all over the world, stake centers, temples, all of these assets are also expenses. Mm. Would it, would it be impossible for the church to say, Hey, Let's go to the law of consecration where everybody has all things in common in this global church. Like, I feel like the church could still do that. The law of consecration and have all of the wealth and assets that they have. But you do you know, for reals? Yeah. You, you don't think, so you think Benjamin no. Park is right about that, that that's switch. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Matt, have you been, I don't know, to Utah County, to St. George, to yeah big Mormon hubs where people, okay. And, and I'm sure that like people would look at me and I would fall into this category. If you judge the house that I live in and the cars that I drive and the Stanley mug, that is such a Mormon (laughs) thing that I carry with me everywhere. Right. But I was down in St. George last weekend and I was like, everybody here is so filthy, stinking rich. Like there is so much money here. And additionally, people are working, like creating jobs. They're starting companies, right? Like LDS people in Utah are very much entrepreneurs. And um, and I think at the end of the day um, that giving 10% of all that is just fine. That is just fine for them. But if you want the majority of us to give 10% and decrease our lifestyle in order to boom up the lifestyle of everybody else in Ghana and Mexico City, that is not going to happen. And really? I'm I'm just, do you think it would happen? Like, look at the lifestyle that we live. And again, I don't think we look at ourselves as richer or better than or anything like that. But from a just stand back and look perspe- perspective, People in Utah have a lot of money. We are doing very well. Like we're riding through even like the current economic um, conditions better than most states. And yeah, and, um, yeah like I just don't think the majority of us, if you said enough with the 10%, let's go to consecration, we would – no, no, no. So, that We would not I, continue to get the money that we're getting. So I don't think – I don't really tend to judge people and say their hearts are set on riches or something like that. But I will say this. No, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. What, what I'm saying is when I was on my mission in Ukraine, they were in the middle of a, a, a like a financial crisis. It was a Great Depression going on there at the time. And yeah. the people were very, very poor. They were in poverty. They were destitute. And yet they would still give whatever they could to the missionaries or to the church. They were always finding ways to give and sacrifice despite their poverty. Yes. And I think that that happens in a lot of places around the church. And But the- what we want to do is say, I want to give my 10% in this way to the church. And then I want to decide how much I give to Ukraine. And I want to decide how much extra I donate to fast offerings. And I want to decide how much I donate to my Word Youth Project. But we do not say, I want to donate everything and let God decide what I actually need. That well, so is I'm not, not. I'm not advocating to, to like make a change that the Lord hasn't asked us to make. But I'm no, saying I know. Yeah. I think that if the Lord did, if the Lord said to all those really rich people in the church, okay, now's the time for you to give everything to the church and you're going to just get back based upon your wants is what it says in the Doctrine uh-huh. of Covenants. Mm-hmm. I think that even the very wealthy members of the church, even the billionaires that like have all of this stuff, I think they would willingly give up all of the stuff that they have 
and just live according to their wants. And I don't think it would reduce their ambition in life. I think the people that are ambitious are just, it's not money that's motivating them to do good things. It's their ambi- their personal ambition. So I, I don't know. I could yeah, be wrong. I don't, I, I just think don't you're think- dead wrong. And again, I'm not saying this is because people are bad. I'm just saying, because this is the lifestyle that we live. This is, this is how, this is how we function in America, right? Yeah. I'm not saying it's bad. And I'm not saying, yeah, like people are too rich. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying like, it is a big stretch to imagine that everybody is going to be like, you're right. Here's <laughs> everything. You're right. Yeah. And I don't think that I just don't think that the church would have the economic impact that it does now if that's how we were asked to live. Because again, it would come back to what we've been talking about before. People would want to be like way more transparency. How are you investing this? Where's this money yeah. going? Like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Right. It would be worse. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. And okay. our well, theological uneducated opinion, <laughs> it would be disagree. worse. We disagree. <laughs> I, have, I have faith in humanity, which Melissa seems to lack. <laughs> yeah. I have way faith in humanity. I just look at humanity different than you do. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> that was just a joke, Melissa. I know. Hey, let's jump to big deal, little deal, no deal. Let's do it. Woo woo. Get to go first. Okay. Read me the headline. Uh-huh. Count me down. We'll say big deal, little deal, or no deal. Senator Mike Lee calls out a BYU professor for discussing her transgender family members in class. Big deal. Little deal, no deal. Three, two, one, big little deal. deal. On a little deal. That was a big headline. It was a lot of information and it was hard for me to process fast. Okay, well, so there's a, a teacher at BYU, at BYU. She teaches a class on the eternal family. And at the end of her class, she talks about her transgender child and they sing hymns and something. I don't know because... The teacher hasn't really gone public about what really happens, but there's a publication at BYU, a conservative news publication, that one of their writers was in this class and wrote a story about it and was very critical of like how this professor is like secretly trying to bring in some kind of a woke agenda into class. And Senator Mike Lee saw that story and he decided to like, he said something like, I can imagine this at another university, but at BYU. And then, you know, because he's a senator then that amplifies the voices of both criticism and support for the professor. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I couldn't tell if you wanted to talk about, you know, the fact that Mike Lee jumped in or the fact that this was happening at BYU. And I guess to me, it's two separate issues. What do you want to talk about? Well, I just, I think that, I think that it's bad in our current society when elected officials criticize individuals. So I think if you want to jump into the political ring and run for office, then you're fair game. Mike Lee can criticize you all he wants to criticize you. But if you're just doing your job, then I would hope that the president of the United States and whatever senator and whoever would just Mm -hmm. leave you alone and let you do your job. Unless Mm -hmm. for some reason you're trying to publicize. Like if you step into the arena, fine, you're part of the fight. But I, so to me, it's a big deal because this is a senator who represents everyone in Utah deciding to call out. Some one someone that they represent, which seems unusual and unkind. Okay, may I ask another follow up question? Because, yeah. um, like, so in my job, I oversee um, the student government students in our high school, and something that I tell them at the beginning of every year when they get elected to office is, uh, I don't care if you're at school or if you're at home or if you're online or if you're in somebody's basement in Uganda, wherever you are, 
you are representing our school. Okay. So you talk crap, you bully, you do something sexually inappropriate or otherwise inappropriate. You're representing our school and it will affect your ability to be a student leader. I don't care if it happened at school or not. Okay. Does Mike Lee fall under those guidelines or is he allowed to have like a private or a personal Twitter account where he comments on things that he thinks personally and then a different account where he comments as a senator? Yeah. So that's the other thing that I learned from this is he has actually three Twitter accounts. He's got a campaign account. He's got his official Senate account. And then he's got this own personal account. Don't you and think that's pretty normal? I I don't know. Like I, I have a, an account. Of- I have an account for the college that I'm associated with and I have a personal account. Oh, you know, I don't, I don't know why if you're a Senator, you need a personal, like, what do you do on your personal account? Like, as I look at his personal account, it's like, this is where I'm going to attack constituents. But my question is, is he ever allowed to be just a person or in every aspect of his life, is he a senator? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I think that you can be just a person, but if you're talking politics, then you're not just a person if you're a senator from the United States Senate, right? Because talking, that would be like, if I I were to say to you, like, like, if you start talking like things that happen in your school... And you say, well, I'm not representing my school. I'm just offering my own personal opinion about what's happening at school. Like it mm-hmm. just feels like connected to your work somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if he's talking politics, even if it's not on an official senator t- Twitter account, it's still you're a senator talking politics or attacking people because of politics that somehow seems related to your work as a senator, right? So like, if, for but example- is this politics or is he just saying- like, I'm a member of this church, and I'm surprised that this would happen at this university. Uh, well, he he doesn't like, make it clear. I understand right? that transgender issues become our political right now, but sure. it, it could also be just a personal feeling of this is how I feel about this issue. Uh, uh, it's okay, happening okay. at this school that I am a member of its religion. Uh, okay. Well, then I guess what I would say is he should be more clear. Are you just yeah, talking yeah. as a person? Like, are you, Is this a, a thing of faith for you? Is this a thing of your religion? Or is this a political statement? Because transgender issues are very political right now. And, and yeah. Republican politicians regularly try to score points with their constituents by attacking various transgender kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, so, and are you speaking as a political science professor? <laughs> sure. As I'm a person. As a political science professor <laughs> saying that that happens right now. Sure. <laughs> Do you, want to talk, do you want to talk about the issue of bringing up transgender child in class at BYU? Uh, so I, I try really hard not to criticize people for what they do in their classrooms. Because yeah. I feel like anyone who teaches at a church school is very highly vetted before they get hired there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And they've chosen to go to a church school for a specific reason. And, mm-hmm. and I actually feel like the Lord, like people feel like they're called to go to church schools oftentimes because yeah. they oftentimes could go somewhere else and they choose to be there. So I, and especially like, I will talk about my family in class. I see yeah. nothing wrong with that. And, and I don't know what this person was doing in their classroom, but I actually feel the same about high school teachers and, and all teachers. I say, I'm not in the classroom. There's no adequate way for a reporter or a story to tell me what's happening in a classroom, because what happens in a classroom is like built up over the course of a semester or over the course of a year. And there's no way I can just pop in and observe what's happening and have an adequate, like, judgment of what's going on. So I really, I really stay away from that. 
But as a high school teacher, I am supposed to teach specific standards outlined by the Utah State Board of Education, right? Mm -hmm. That is what I am supposed to teach, and that is what I'm allowed to teach. I am not supposed to teach my personal life, right? That's but, that's not part of you, my curriculum. But you now, bring it in. But, you have to yeah, bring it but in. But do students find out about me? Yeah. Yes, obviously, because you're trying to make connections with people, right? Yeah. But I would say, unless this has something to do with your curriculum, this is not for you to bring up. That being said, she's teaching a course on eternal families. She is yeah. talking about her eternal family. Yeah. I think it clearly has to do with her curriculum. I think yeah. her curriculum also, as a member of the church, probably often says that Jesus said, love everyone, treat them mm -hmm. kindly too, right? Yeah. And um, and I we do not have anything in our church that says that transgenderism is um, bad or wrong. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with her child. Um, uh, and, and I guess, you know, she did talk about how, um, he had been diagnosed by a doctor, um, and that he was transgender. There's nothing wrong with saying to a group of BYU students, this is part of my eternal family, right? Yeah. We should treat others with kindness. That's right. Like, like, I, I feel like, um, a person being open about their family only serves to help people understand the the diversity that we have in the church. And mm -hmm. I really liked at the last general conference, President Nelson said that we have the broadest tent of any organization on earth. We invite all to come unto Christ. We invite all to be a part of our church. And so the minute that we start telling to someone, you should not be talking about your family that makes it feel like maybe not everyone's included and not everyone should be a part of the church. And we want everyone in. And so, yeah, yeah I will never have, have a problem with a person discussing their family. Okay. Okay. Are you ready for my headline? Yeah. Okay. Um, young Mormons are abandoning the GOP. Three, two, one. No deal. Little deal. Oh, I said it <laughs> at the wrong time. No deal. <laughs> No okay, deal. no deal. I say little deal. Um, I think I I know that you're always into um, statistics and analysis mm -hmm. of what's going on with people in the world and especially in our church. Overall, the data is saying that younger members of the church are more conservative than less older con members. Less conservative. I'm sorry, less conservative <laughs> than older members of the church, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um I think to me, that's obvious. Like I've seen that in my daily life too. Um, why do you say it's no deal at all? If you do a survey and you ask people, are you liberal or conservative? And you have them pick one of like put themselves on this scale of liberal to conservative. Mm -hmm. And you give them the chance, the option, I don't know. I've never thought about it. 25% of Americans will say, I don't know. I've never thought about it. Mm. And 50% of them are going to pick moderate because they don't know where to place themselves on it. So huh. at least half of Americans don't even know if they're liberal or conservative. Interesting. And so huh. to tell me that young people are calling themselves more liberal than older people says nothing about like younger members of the church. They're just, hmm. they're, first of all, young people are fickle and change their minds all the time. Second of all, they don't really know what that means when they're answering that question. And so third, I think what they're doing is they're saying, I don't like what the Republicans are doing right now. I'm not going to call myself that. So I'm going to say I'm more liberal than my parents, which mm -hmm. all of the kids I know tell me they're more liberal than their parents, even when they're not. 
That's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, related, I did find another story that said um, more Americans pray in their car than in a place of worship. Because have you been on I-15, Melissa? Oh, everybody's (laughs) praying on (laughs) I-15. No, No, I just think this was an interesting study done overall, um, not just for Mormons, but nationwide about prayer in general. Um, And I just thought it was interesting to note that um, 87% of Americans say they pray um, and that they had received an answer to their prayers in the last 12 months. Wow. Yeah. And that um, most Americans are not praying in church, right? So they're um, they're yeah. they're praying, like it said, in their car or in their bedroom. But yeah, sixty one percent of Americans pray daily. Okay, eighty five percent of Americans say they connect with a higher power in another way. So maybe they do mindfulness or something like that. Um, and that um, the average American prays two times a day. That's much higher That's than I good. thought it would be. Yeah. And for, for an average of 18 minutes per day. That's a much lot. Much higher than I thought it would be. Yeah. 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 You know, when I was driving my daughter home from the airport yesterday after her mission, there was this left turn light and the person up at the front of the left turn light wasn't going anywhere. And I was in a bit of a rush. So I got over into the other lane to turn left and all these cars are like honking at me as they're driving at me and I'm in their lane of traffic. And uh-huh. my daughter's just covering her eyes. She's like, Dad, what are you oh. doing? What are you doing? Yeah. And I should have said, I'm helping people pray in their cars. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be your new go-to line. Listen, I know that people like to pray in their cars, and I like to give them opportunities to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Americans are more religious than uh, we often give them credit for. Yep, that's right. Okay, here's my story. Uh, big deal, little deal, or no deal. The Toronto, Ontario Temple will be closed for nine months for renovations. Three, two, one. No deal? Little deal? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many temples are nearby Toronto, Ontario. They're but built, I do yeah. feel like this happens pretty regularly. Yeah. I just wanted us to have a chance to mention temples in the podcast because oh. there's always, you know, new stuff going on with temples. And so we put a link to the story. You can read more about all the temples, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. I didn't know what to say about it. So I thought, we'll just put it in this. We'll say big deal, <laughs> no deal. And then we'll okay, move sounds on. Okay, good. Okay, here's my next story. Changes are coming to Come Follow Me in 2024. Three, two, one. Little deal. Little deal. Yeah, we agree. Little deal. Yeah, little deal. Yeah, so basically um, there's going to be just a little bit of revamp to the program, but overall the church is saying like we love how this has been going. We love that people are focusing on church as not just a meeting place, but church is something that's happening in your home. Mm-hmm. And instead of having separate manuals for all of the different parts of Come Follow Me, we're going to revamp. There's going to be just one Come Follow Me manual that you can use in primary, Sunday school, young women, everything. If, if I'm being totally that's honest, totally no, I think, yeah, it wasn't until I was asked to serve in the young men's that I actually knew there were different manuals. Okay, I always thought yeah. there was just the one, the "Come Follow Me" manual that they give you that's for home and family. Mm-hmm. I thought that's what everybody used for everything. And so oh, then gotcha. when I got to Aaronic Priesthood, and there, I was like, "Wait, whoa, what's this?" Yeah. So I think that yeah, it's it's a little deal, but it's also kind of a good thing because it's helpful. 
I think, to have just one manual instead of... I think so too. I mean, I liked having, like when I taught Sunday school, a separate manual for Sunday school because I felt like I could make sure we're hitting some different issues instead of just like redoing the same exact thing that you've already done, right? Like they're related, but I feel like you're getting this in seminary, you're getting this at home and also in Sunday school, like it can be redundant. So I do hope that the um, updated manual will have more content so that we can pull from a lot of different content um, as a family or as a Sunday school or whatever. But I do think if it's just the amount that has been in the personal come follow me, that yeah. might not be enough to adequately that's, meet the needs. Yeah. That's what I always felt like when I would read it. I was like, wait a minute. There, we read all of this stuff and all we're doing is these two little thoughts. Yeah. There's yeah, so yeah. much more we could discuss here, but I, yeah. I didn't know. Oh, it's in the other manuals. Yeah. Okay, my story is Ghana Latter-day Saints open stake center to more than 1,000 Muslims celebrating the end of Ramadan. Okay. Three, two, one. Big deal. Big deal. Yes, Big deal. We, we both agree. Okay, tell me more about this. So uh, in this particular area, it's the T- Takoradi Ghana stake. And uh-huh. uh, they found out that Muslims in their area did not have a facility large enough to gather at the end of Ramadan. Okay. So the stake presidency said, hey, why don't you use the grounds of the stake center? So oh, I love I, this. Isn't that great? So they just needed a p- place to be able to respectfully pray, basically. Yeah, or there's probably some things that you do at the – Ramadan is a big, long thing where you fast in the uh, uh-huh. at night, right? I, I'm not real familiar with Muslim behavior, but I know Ramadan's a big deal and it lasts for a long time. And, and just like Easter um, signifies the end of like the holy season for Catholics, yeah. Ramadan signifies, there's like an end of Ramadan that's important uh, for Muslims and they didn't have a space to gather. And so the stake president was like, hey, why don't you use our, we have a bunch of space here. You could use that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I love anything we do to encourage everybody who is trying to live their religion and become closer to God. I think that is Awesome. And I'm really glad to hear about that. I, I hope other stake presidents will um, see this and, and think of other ways that we could expand the use of all of the property and buildings that we have to, um, yeah, include and support others. I think that's awesome. There's a there's that article of faith that says that uh, we want to allow others to worship how, where, and what they may. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And I really like th- these things sort of say to me, this is us putting that faith into practice. Like, yeah. we actually believe this, and we're going to mm-hmm. show you by the way we behave. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Good, good, good. Okay, Melissa, this is one of my favorite segments. Time for one of your favorite segments where I look dumb and you have fun. Let's do it. (laughs) And Uh, what's it called? Famous Mormons? Famous Mormon adjacent individuals. Mm -hmm. I know your husband loves, loves, loves the Fast and Furious uh, movie. Oh, yes. Ah. Such so, a manly, manly thing. Okay, I tried go ahead. To pick something you might be familiar with because maybe he's talked about some of these people. Maybe never seen or heard any of them, but I'm ready to play your the, game. These so. three people are are stars in the Fast and Furious franchise. Okay, Paul Walker died a little while ago, but he makes the list anyways. Okay, so okay. Vin and so Diesel, which one of them is Mormon? Mormon, that's or right. Mormon adjacent? Mormon adjacent, that's right. <laughs> okay, Vin Diesel. Vin I've Diesel. heard of Vin Diesel because he has a recognizable name. He's bald, tough yep. guy. Yep. Okay, okay, Drives Vin Diesel. In, okay, Paul Walker. Okay. Paul Walker. Okay. Um, in the first like five Fast and Furious movies, he's like the he's the guy who races against Vin Diesel. 
He's okay, the one that's that fine. I'm Googling him. So, Never seen him before, but he that's looks so fine. handsome and okay. Oh, so handsome. Okay. And number three is Jason Statham. Okay. Jason Statham, also Googling. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he actually, there was the Hobbs and whatever Hobbs and something spinoff from Fast and Furious, and he's okay. he's one of those. Matt, uh, I love your guys. fun game. This is such a fun game. Um, do you want to put Post Malone in there? Because I feel like <laughs> I don't know any of these. He, he was not in Fast and Furious. Oh, okay, okay. You've seen their okay. faces. They're all handsome, yeah, 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 beautiful yeah, yeah. men, very strong. Okay. And I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Um, Jason Statham. Oh, good guess. But no, not it's right. Paul Walker. Paul. It's Walker. Paul Walker. Okay. Yeah. He was raised a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. But like so many of our favorite movie stars, once wow. he got rich and famous, no longer. Well, now he's dead. Okay. So maybe Did he die he, of something sad like drugs? Uh, you know what? No, I think maybe an either an eye illness or an accident. Okay, hold on. I'm I'm Wikipediaing Paul Walker. He yeah. died in 2013. He oh. left for a charity event and was driving his Porsche mm. and down the streets of Valencia. Ooh. And then the car crashed into a concrete lamppost catching fire. This See? is a terrible death. See? Oh, and my he, goodness. And Fast and Furious was his thing, right? So, like, wow. he, he made movies of driving Fast and Furious, and then that's yeah, what got that's him in the what, end. Maybe he died doing what he loved? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, um, okay great. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> That was wait for it. That was so fun. <laughs> that was super fun. I, I think you like this next segment. Yeah, I do. Mormons, Mormons doing goodly. Doing goodly. Yeah, bring yeah. it to me. Okay, this story is in the church news. So when Joni Walton was asked to serve as the primary music leader, she asked that a young man with special needs, his name's Hunter Cragen, be asked to serve as her assistant. It has been wonderful for Hunter and for the primary. And then this is a quote from her. Hunter and singing time has literally activated people who weren't coming to come and participate. All you have to do oh. is show up one week and participate with Hunter and they want to come back. They want to oh. feel the perfect spirit that comes out when he sings. Oh, what a great idea. Yeah. Now I'm looking at this, this picture in your article of Hunter leading the music and he is <laughs> adorable. Isn't it great? And you can tell he's loving it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a so, great story. Clever idea, right? Uh, yeah. You don't typically say, hey, let's have the special needs kid lead the music because maybe yeah. they couldn't handle that calling all on their own. Uh-huh. But how great that someone says, I would love to serve. And hey, how about I have this person serve with me? Yeah. And yeah, I love okay, it. Okay, awesome. Okay, I have a story about Mormons doing goodly that's not in the news. It's just a personal story that I wanted to share. So yeah. I did um, mention earlier that I went to Washington, D.C. with a group of students. And we brought 10 students with us. Um, we were there for five days. And we were competing on Saturday and Sunday and Monday. So there was competition on Sunday. And we were scheduled to compete in the afternoon. And when you do these sorts of things, you go as a you, a tour group kind of put your agenda together. So they give you a bus driver. They give you a tour guide. They fill your days with all of the sites you want to see and kind of make sure that you have meals. And anyways, it's very structured. And Sunday morning was our only time in the whole week that we had set aside to study and prepare for the competition. And I want to tell you that these groups, uh, this group of students of 10 of them, um, nine of them who were members of the church came to me and said, could we go to church on Sunday morning? Could you help us find a way to do that? And I was like, oh, 
that's sure. And, and so it took some, you know, figuring out, cause again, we, we were not in charge of our own schedule. So, you know, it took some scheduling, um, a couple of different Lyft drivers or Uber drivers and figuring out where our church is and how to get there. And could we get back in time for the competition? And, you know, even that morning I said, you know, some of you have state conference today. What if instead you just watch state conference online and just kind of zoomed in? And they were like, no, we, we want to go to church. We want to go to church. We want to take the sacrament. We want to, that, that's what's important to us. And I was just really impressed because it wasn't like their mom said, you've got to go to church or that anybody was there telling them like, hey, this is important. It was like them deciding and coming to, you know, their teachers and being like, could you help us find a way to make this happen? And I just thought that that was super impressive. And frankly, yeah. it was fun to sit in church with them. And yes, no offense, students, if you're listening, a lot of them did just sleep through sacrament meeting because <laughs> they are teenagers, but it didn't matter. The what right. mattered was that they cared to be there. And I just thought that's, you know, such an everyday example of Mormons doing goodly. But yeah. if you look around the world, you see stuff like that all the time. We have members of the church who just try really hard to live what they believe. And I think it's cool. Yeah. You know, as a parent, I always wonder what will my children choose to do in situations like that? So mm-hmm. I'm sure their parents are thrilled that they chose church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I bet they didn't care that they slept through church. No, nope, not at all. <laughs> okay, well, that was great. I love Mormons doing goodly. It always that one yeah. always makes me feel good inside. Ah, uh, good. Some, some of the news has me a little down sometimes. But yeah. do you know what makes me feel really good inside? I know you love history. This week in Mormon history. This week in Mormon history. Okay, Okay, now I'm getting ready to put on my smart brain and pay attention and try to understand why this matters as we go through this delightful topic of this week in Mormon history. Bring it on, Maddie. 25 years ago. Okay. uh, And so the first presidency asked a Democrat general authority, Elder Marlon K. Jensen, they asked him to give an interview to the Salt Lake Tribune assuring readers that one may indeed simultaneously be a Democrat and a Mormon (laughs) in good standing. (laughs) 25 years ago. Isn't that great? Well, maybe that was true 25 years ago, but they haven't said it recently. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I remember Marlon K. Jensen. He was a church over the church history department for quite a long time, wasn't he? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So they asked him and what's to the purpose of this press give conference? an interview to say, just, I just want everyone to know. <laughs> I'm a Democrat, a Democrat. And I'm a member of the church in I good guess standing. This is fantastic because they wanted him to give the our, our interview to the Salt Lake Tribune, <laughs> not to the Deseret News. <laughs> because the Democrats in Utah needed to know. They needed to know through the Salt Lake Tribune. <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that That's great? Awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. This one's a little, little. So this is a hundred years ago, 1923, May of 1923. Okay. So Richard Lyman is a general authority. He's and he's on the board of the. He's on the Church Board of Education. Okay. And he he writes this in his journal. He says, or there's notes or something like that. He says the board under the direction of President Grant Heber J Grant. Okay. Allowed money. Allowed the money asked for by the Commissioner of Education. I saw at, that at the BYU's request is made for $30,000 to increase salaries or to employ new teachers. I told Dr. John A. Widso that I regard this as mistaken policy. There is a <laughs> limit to the amount of money the church can allow for this institution. To start new departments is a mistake. I say <laughs> the foundation should be laid out now and on it without extension. We should build. Oh, Wow. <laughs> 
So wow. The, so. so the programs we had in 1923, that's enough. $30,000, that's enough. We don't need to do more money. We don't need to. we build- trying to add new departments, build this college up. <laughs> that is really interesting. So but, it, he got, it was a no, it was a no. He, he lost the vote, right? He, okay. But, yeah. But that was his opinion. And I, I'll tell you, I I don't sit in these board of trustees meetings, but I do know that this debate is alive and well today that there oh, are, really? sure. There are members of the quorum of the 12 apostles that say, look, the purpose of the church is to like share the gospel, build temples. Like the, the tithing money should be going to missionary efforts and it should be going to temple efforts and church education has a role, but does do we really need to have this much church education? It's a fight that's that's a uh, still going on today. But yeah, I love that thirty thousand dollars. They're like, whoa, 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 oh, whoa. No. Well, I just I do think it's interesting because what if they had agreed to go in that direction and we wouldn't have things like BYU Hawaii, BYU Idaho, yeah. and I mean the amazing programs that are coming out of BYU and and the yeah. education that we do. Yeah, that's interesting. So this is just oh, a Matt, little. Short- it turns out it's interesting. This is just a short little side note to that. It, it was uh-huh. in the 1950s. The church decided that they wanted to get rid of all of their church schools. Okay. And, and they said to the state of Idaho, we will give you Rick's College for $1. <laughs> and, and the state of Idaho said, no, thank you. No we don't want it. way. It's true. <laughs> and so because, because the state of Idaho didn't want Rick's College for a dollar, now we have BYU. And we're like, Idaho. well, I guess we'll press forward. <laughs> <laughs> and is there an annual celebration of that event at BYU Idaho every year? <laughs> you know how it was. Remember with the, the day we did? Yes, yeah. <laughs> our own little da da da, da and uh, we, we didn't to- get sold for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> what about fifty cents? No, no. <laughs> we don't want your school. <laughs> okay, and then one last week in Mormon history story. Okay. I, I want to know what you think about this. So it's 50 years ago today. This was in the okay. LDS Church News. Hey, I just would like to note, I was not alive then. Barely. 50 years ago, barely. 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 <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so an LDS New Zealander named Susan okay. Vickers won the Miss Auckland Beauty Contest despite her refusal to wear a bikini swimming suit. Oh, Um, so she stood for her morals and she won anyway. Yeah. Good for her. Now I want to, I want to say publicly now, if I could win Miss Auckland beauty contest by wearing a bikini, (laughs) I would do it because I'm a words of affirmation kind of fella. Okay. So I lack the moral integrity of Mrs. I just want to say now that you could not win. (laughs) Either in a bikini or a one piece. So I know you're competitive. We've already talked about that. I just I want to be you know clear with you. You would not win. Um, yeah, that's a that's a fun story. I like that. I wonder. Um, I wonder how much uh, standards have changed today. Like, I wonder yeah. if if current LDS young women are like, well, I just I don't see a lot of them who think wearing a bikini is inappropriate. Yeah, so it's it's changed in a lot of ways, right? So I think that, uh-huh. yeah, ideas about bikinis is definitely different than it was 50 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. But also ideas about beauty pageants are very different. Oh, that's true. Were, yeah, right? that's like, really true. Yeah. Like it's, um, yeah, it's not a popular thing to, to do beauty pageants. That's true. Yeah, it's, that it's is true. It's fascinating how things change uh, over the years. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is way before our time, Melissa. We wouldn't know because we're not 50 years old. But- Absolutely. It's uh. so far in the history that it's hard for us to comprehend. But I'm really gl- glad you brought that story to our attention. That was fun. 
Hey, This Week in Mormon listeners, thanks for joining us for the podcast this week. I don't know if you know this, but I have another podcast. It's called The Latter-day Lens. It's really uh, good, Maddie. I really, I've been listening to it and I really enjoy the conversations you guys are having over there. We're trying hard to kind of fill the void that President Nelson and others identified in General Conference where, you know, we think that people should be talking about politics in a less angry way. Mm -hmm. And we think that people should be bringing church into these conversations maybe more than they are. And so this is our attempt to show that you can disagree about political things. I think we talk about like heavy issues on that podcast. Yeah. Things, things people would normally maybe fight about. And we disagree, but we don't like get angry with each other. So yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Thanks. So yeah, Latter-day Lens, go ahead and check that out, listeners. And again, you can follow This Week in Mormons on Facebook, Twitter, and you can email us at the stuff we mentioned previously. Melissa and I might not host every month, but we plan to be regular hosts of the podcast. So please join us next yeah, week. Out. And when we host again. Bye.